0: Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It is the off season, but we are back. Yet again, Anthony Pagnotta, your host as always. Josh Marlowe, riding shotgun alongside of me for this podcast here. Uh, and today we are doing a state of the program address. Uh, that we haven't done this in a while. Uh, usually was just a an article, but we're going to turn this into a podcast. Um, and I think this is something we'll probably have to do probably every couple of years as we start to go out go throughout the next few seasons uh, in Toriel football. And uh, I think this is the perfect spot to do it two yeah. years ago um, a little over two years ago now of course about two and two, two years and three months ago Tariels went back to head coach Mac Brown um, and uh, interestingly enough we went back found the audio from that day and you have to hear my take on what I thought of the Mac Brown hire at the time <laughs> concern with it is, is right now, you've got no coordinators with you. Nobody. And the guys that are rumored to be his favorites, to come with him, are both free agents. And he said in his press conference today, he has not had a conversation with anybody. um How is that even possible? My, my thing is, is why would you not give him time, maybe just a couple of days, to get a staff together. And maybe in that time period you do end up interviewing somebody. How long does the energy last though? Is the question. Does he keep that same energy for this year and then that's it? Does he keep that energy for five, all five years of his contract? I mean I, I, that that's the one thing that also I mean that's a thing. Look at he's 68 years old. Nick's How much
1: 67 though.
0: Established program, totally different. Not but, even close to the same thing.
1: I'm not worried about age. I mean, age
0: has to be a factor when you're coming in and reestablishing something.
1: You idiot! Too many Christmas.
0: <laughs> so,
1: not not my proudest moment on the podcast. I'm just going to be quite frank. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't, uh,
0: it, it it wasn't great. Um, if you go back and listen to that podcast, which I mean, if you guys want to go all the way back and listen to that one, that's episode fifty-seven of the podcast. It, uh, you brought up some really, really good points as to why they made the hire, and when you look back, that's what you now, pay me for is yeah.
1: my knowledge. Yeah, that's sure,
0: sure. That's that's what it is. It's not that we just can't find anybody else. That that's 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 season. a big part of it. But, um. You know, when you look back on it now I think that you see as you mentioned at the time of the podcast we didn't put that audio in here um, it was really just a focus on more it's of
1: my you being an Indian yeah, my, not my smartness my my uh, my
0: moronic take um, it they were trying to get a recruiting class together at the time yeah. That was also the recruiting class that held Sam Howell at the time, a guy that was committed to Florida State. So uh, that really went a long way by hiring him, bringing him in, and uh, man, they they have uh, been phenomenal since. So uh, we're going to break that down a little bit more in depth right here. But first, we're going to jump into the opening drive, talk about something else really, really quickly uh, before we get to that. Um, So uh, this is the opening drive. It's time for the opening drama on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. And uh, we're going to start by doing the thing, so I wanted you to have a chance to do this, and I'll give my rankings. I'll go a little bit in-depth, but not as in-depth. I caught you off guard
1: here. Just yeah, I, don't, I, I, I didn't um, get the rundown for today's show. I thought we were just talking about Max. No, 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 no. Carolina. There's
0: always got to be an opening drive segment because we're going to have to have something for the eventual sponsors whenever we get back out of COVID to be able to sponsor on the show. Right. Um, so... I gave my ranking of the five super seniors and their potential impacts for this upcoming season. So I'll read you off the guys and then you can go ahead and go through your list. And I mean, we can do it however you, we, you want it. We can do it how me and Zach did on the last edition of the podcast with the 2022 recruiting rankings where we can alternate, go, you know, you, know I, you do five, I do five, or you can just read your whole list. It's totally up to you. But the five guys that you're picking between are, of course, Bo Corrales, Timon Fox, Garrett Walston, Grayson Atkins, and Tyrone Hopper. All five of those guys took their extra year of eligibility that was granted by the NCAA and will be back for this year. So we're labeling them as super seniors. Uh, that that uh, article is up on the website right now. If you guys want to go check that out, teeltruffleon.com, you can check out uh, that full article there. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this. So I'm interested to see which one of these guys you think uh, will be the most impactful. But who do you think uh, ranking them for five? to one how do you think it shakes up
1: so I'm gonna go number five Grayson Atkins number four Tyron Hopper number three Garrett Walston number two Timon Fox and one, Bo Corrales
0: okay all right so not that far off for me so I had Tyrone Hopper Um, I think, you know, you just look at the young guys that are at that, you know, the the edge rusher spots. Mm. I think that there were some guys that we saw grow as the season went along. I think it's going to be really, really hard to continue to try to hold off Dez Evans. And I think that's ultimately one of the things that the staff hopes to achieve this year is to sort of, you know, start that transition that you're going to have to have in the offseason next year anyways, even if Tyrone was to come out and be a big part Uh, Of what you do, I have Grayson Atkins at four. I think uh, really it's it's you know we saw him get into a rhythm late in the year last year. He's going to be your primary kicker, so he'll be handling the extra point, uh, you know that that those duties for the entire season. Um, And then uh, I think early in the year, especially with the fact that you're losing Daz Newsome, you're losing your top two running backs. I think that. There is some potential that you're going to need him
1: to kick, field goals. To, kick
0: to, to kick some important fields yeah. for you in some of those early games. I mean, like we mentioned, you've got a, a road game against Virginia Tech that you may need him in. Uh, you got a game against Virginia, a team that you haven't been able to beat in four years. So those are the types of games where he may be put in some of those situations yeah. because you don't have that backfield that could score <clears throat> as easily as they did last year. You don't have that slot receiver that could break out and, and break one for a, a red zone touchdown like you did with Daz Newsome. So, we'll have to keep an eye on that. So, that's why I have him at four. Uh, Garrett Walston coming back. Uh, Like I mentioned, they're losing a lot in both the receiving game and the running game. He can help in both aspects. He'll be able to open up running lanes for some of those younger backs. He did a great job of sealing the edge. He's really become a fantastic blocker. And I think you saw as the season went along, especially in that Orange Bowl game, he became one of the more comfortable targets for Sam Howell. So, I feel like he's going to continue to build on that role this season. Uh, And then, yeah, I've got Timon Fox as well. I think this one was probably the toughest one to, you know, kind of debate in your own mind, because I feel like Timon and Bo are pretty much your clear one and two. It's just yeah. how do you rank them? Um, Timon, you know, coming back off of a, another pretty productive year. Again, still looking for that consistency. It's still, you know, he's still a guy that is really just in burst, um, but if he could get that consistency, I think he has a real chance to, you know, ex- expand upon what he's done at Carolina so far in his career. I mean, you gotta think, he has 21 career sacks so far, and that is tied for fifth with Lawrence Taylor. That would be a tremendous career, even if it just ended t- Today. Uh, but look, he's still got a whole nother season to go at Carolina. So I think he has a chance to potentially reach that double-digit sack total. If he can continue to build on what we saw from him this year, um, we'll just have to wait and see. But I think with Bo Corrales, he's the number one here. I think we can both agree on this. It's because you look at everything that Carolina is losing at wide yeah. receiver. Mm-hmm. De'Ami Brown gone, Daz Newsom gone. And you combine the fact that this is a guy that, you know, coming into last year, they thought was going to expand upon a season where he had 575 yards receiving and six total touchdowns. He fits what Carolina wants to have. And I think he'll still fit well with the guys that are going to be in there. Choffrey Brown's probably going to take over the role that his brother held the last couple of years as the guy that can take the top off of the defense, can catch some things in the short passing, short and intermediate passing game, and, you know, end up making some big plays afterwards as well. And then you'll have Josh Downs in the slot, which will be a guy that'll be similar to what Daz Newsom does, maybe even a little bit more of a polished route runner that'll allow you to do some more creative things, uh, with your offense. But Bo Corrales is going to continue to hold that red zone threat role, that go up and get it type of receiver and will also be a guy that as we saw, you know, at times in 2019 and then even early on last year, including the game uh, that he got injured in against Florida State, he can be that go to guy on third down. So that's why I have him up there. Um, and so we'll, with, with that, we'll move on to the discussion of the state of the program. And we'll start with that coaching staff. Go back, take a listen, if you're just now tuning in at this part of the podcast, to that quote that I started with, where I say that he doesn't have any coordinators yes. in class. Well... <laughs> he went out and put together a great group of coordinators. And remember, there were some people that were a little on edge after Cliff Kingsbury basically turned them down. There were rumors that Gene Chiswick wasn't coming. Yep. And then remember, there was actually a point where they didn't know if they were getting Jay Bateman. So Greg Robinson remember was that? the rumor defensive coordinator, an older guy, who pretty much was just, in most people's mind, a last gasp guy. But Carolina ends up with Phil Longo as their offensive coordinator and they end up with Jay Bateman as their defensive coordinator. Let's start with Phil Longo. And we're also going to talk about some of the other guys that have been on this staff, but I think the coordinators are where we need to start. This was a hire that I think at the time was looked at as a really strong hire, but there were concerns about the red zone offense. I thought that in year one, Those were justified. There were still some struggles for Carolina, but I thought he took a really big step in year two. And I think year three is going to be really telling with everything that's gone. If his red zone offense can continue to be as efficient as it was last year, it'll just continue to show how
1: he's evolved as a coordinator. We're going to find out what kind of coordinator he is because you're losing two 1,000-yard running backs, and then you're losing De'Ami Brown and Daz Newsome, guys that can make big plays for you in the passing game. But with that being said – they put all, they put together the best offense in Carolina football history a year ago. And they could score forty on about any team in the country. And you've got a quarterback that's gonna be, if not the first, the second quarterback taking the NFL draft. That hired and at the time, I was critical of it. And remember, year one, I was very critical during the season of his play calling, specifically inside the twenty. Well, are,
0: we, are we acting like you're not still somewhat
1: critical? I'm still of his critical. Yes, call? but if you, you feel, just you know,
0: criticized his Orange Bowl, uh, it was bad. game
1: plan a few it weeks. Was, ago. It was it was a bad game plan. But you <laughs> saw this year with a full competent, or you know, everyone involved and healthy, what this offense can be, which is an offense that can put Carolina in the ACC championship game to put Carolina in contention to make the college football playoff. So interesting to see what's going to happen with him this year. Yes, because you're losing a lot of talent, but he grew in year two with Sam Howell. And that's what you're wanting to look at is growing with your quarterback. He did that with Sam. So we're, you know, excited for year three, but, uh, He's a really good coordinator. You saw that this year because he got some talks for being a head coach with some smaller group of five jobs. So his time score where he's not going to be in Chapel Hill. But looking back on it, that was the right hire. Once she lost out on the very attractive Cliff Kingsbury, who's in the NFL and doing things with Kyler Murray, this was a good get for Mac Brown.
0: Yeah. Well, see, when that hire ended up happening of Cliff Kingsbury going to be the head coach with the Arizona Cardinals. It made like, sense. Oh, Okay. You also thought there were rumors that he could be the UFC or the USC Mm -hmm. offensive coordinator. You were like – Okay, well, that would make more sense, that's a, that's too, as well. That's a better well, job than Carolina. Um, if, if we're being honest with ourselves. Um, but, you know, yeah, I, I think that they really did a good job of landing him. And I think they did a tremendous job of landing Jay Bateman. Look, we had some criticisms of Jay Bateman in the middle of the season. There were some concern that maybe he was taking a step back. But I think as the season rolled along, as you started to see some of these young guys that, again— I know people don't like to hear this, but it is true, and it's something that you have to be able to admit to yourself: is that they are his guys. Look, that's not to say that the guys that on the that are on the roster aren't his guys. Look at how many guys that are veterans, still played significant roles mm-hmm. this year that maybe didn't fit his defense quite the way that he wants them to, but he was able to still sort of adjust his scheme as the year went along. But once those young guys started rotating in, you can see why there is so much excitement around this guy who, you know, in his time at Army, right before the the made the hire – he was one of the better defensive coordinators yes. in the country, including when he shut down one of the more dynamic offenses in the country at Oklahoma. And we're starting to see that this defense is getting there.
1: When Mac Brown hired him, this was the hire that got the most attention because that thought, you know, that, that meant that, you know, Mac Brown's going to get the kind of staff he needs to have in Chapel Hill. And I, I've said it plenty of times. I think you agree. They have the second best coaching staff in the ACC behind Clemson. Correct. Yeah, I would agree with that. Especially with Notre I, Dame now back out of the ACC. Carolina's got the second-best coaching staff top to bottom in the I, league.
0: I would argue it's it's better than, than Notre Dame. I just don't think that the talent is quite on that level. Right. Yes, this coaching staff is is loaded, and I think even with the, with the hire of Larry Porter – That just, you know, after Robert Gillespie left, I think that continues to show you that people value this coaching staff that's there now. They think that they, you know, being a part of this can be being a part of something big. I don't feel like right now, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe that, you know, other people still feel that way about Florida State. Maybe some people feel that way about Louisville, um, you know, even Miami. I don't think there's any other ACC team, like you mentioned, outside of Clemson where people feel like this is if, – if North Carolina calls me, I'm going to join a prestigious staff. So, yeah, I agree with you.
1: Yeah, definitely. 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 You got that reputation when you got Jay Bateman to leave what he was doing at Army to come run your defense. Now, have the results and necessarily worn that on the field through two years? No, but you saw glimpses of it. The game against Clemson his first year, where you held that offense to 21 points and you gave yourself a chance to win the ball game. And then this year, after that Wake Forest game, you know what did you do against Wake uh, against Notre Dame, uh, and even AM, They played a really really good game against AM in terms of what they did defensively. They were just worn out in the second half, right. and that was shown. He is a X and O Wizards guy. He's going to find ways to take away what you do best in a way that not many other coaches in the country can do. And so, you know. Had Carolina gotten Gene Robinson or that, that old guy to come here, there wouldn't have. <laughs>
0: Greg Robinson. Yeah, exactly. Gene Robinson was a Don't former corner. Don't even know corner. his
1: name. Gene Robinson was a former
0: corner for the team you know, back so, in the
1: late 2000s. Like, if, if Carolina brought that guy in, it, you would have been questioning the, you know, Mac Brown and the state of the staff moving forward. You got right. Jay Bateman in here. You look at the guys, what he's doing on the defensive side of the football with Dre Bly, who's now becoming a really good up and coming yep. head coach. You've got Tommy Thigpen there with you as well, and Tim Cross on the defensive line. Top to bottom, this is a really good defensive staff, and you and you trust where Jay Bateman's going to take this defense in year three because they're going to need their defense to play a lot better if they want to compete at the level that we expect them to compete at. And I think we're more trusting of where they are right now, you know, than we were a year ago.
0: Oh, for sure. I think that's one of the big things when you look at the that the team late in the season. When did this defense play at its best late in the year? Yeah. I, I you know, again, it's it's seen as an excuse, but I think it's. It's not really an excuse. It is it is a reason
1: for every team in the country. This defense would have been better if COVID-19 did. Well, it's not an excuse because of the way he – coaches his scheme, you need a whole offseason to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do. Right. And you would have had some of these younger guys probably pay,
0: playing bigger roles yeah. earlier. It would have allowed you to rotate guys more often because as we saw towards the end at the end of that the regular season, really even when they got towards that midpoint right there, that Wake Forest game that we're talking about right before they got to that bye before they had to play Notre Dame. Some of these guys, particularly in the front the front six or seven, mainly that defensive line, they were worn out they were playing I mean, every snap like I mean, you got Tamari Fox, a guy who was in the top five amongst defensive linemen playing snaps. Raymond Bowa would have been there too if he doesn 't get banged up against mm-hmm. Boston college. I mean these guys were playing some of the most snaps in the country. And we're just getting, I mean, worn down game in and game out because they didn't have guys that could rotate in for them. So I think once you saw some of those young guys be able to step up and take some of the pressure off of them, take some of the reps to allow them to be fresher, you saw this defense really shine. And I think the skill set is also a big part of it, too. You talked about how aggressive he is as an X and O's coach. You've got to have the guys that can execute in that scheme, though. You've got to have guys that have the athleticism to be able to cover a lot of space really quickly. Yeah. Some of these guys, that's just not their skill set. They weren't brought in for a system where you have to be that athletic and do that many things. Mainly, I mean, you look at like Jeremiah Gimmel. We talked about it towards the end of the season. He's been putting coverage so often. That's not his game yeah, no. at all. And that's fine. You need guys that can be in the box linebackers that can help you in, in the run game and occasionally blitz. That that was held by Chaz Surratt. Chaz Surratt was better in coverage – but Chaz was a better blitzer as well. Mm-hmm. So they felt that it was more adequate, you know, more act for him to be able to, you know, rush the passer and allow Gimmel to just hold his own in pass coverage. So I think you'll see that as it goes forward. Dre Bly, that's one of the other guys that I wanted to talk about when we talk about some of the assistants. I mean, look, Robert Gillespie's moved on, so we're not really going to focus on him that much, but he did a tremendous job. Yeah. That was another great job uh, by Matt Brown. Remember, he and Tommy Thigpen were the only holdover from Larry Fedora's previous staff Mm -hmm. and he nailed it with both of them I think especially with Gillespie now that's of course going to be held by Larry Porter great hire as we talked about a couple of podcasts ago guy that's been everywhere but Dre Bly I think is the star when you talk about these other ones because he was an unknown this was a guy that coached a little bit of high school football in the Charlotte area at Myers Park High School you know coached his son up a little bit. Had some established relationships with some of the guys in this area, but I think there were a lot of questions about whether he would be able to go outside the Charlotte area and recruit at the level that he has and what he would be able to do on the field as a defensive backs coach. I, I think right now he's still handling just cornerbacks. I think Jay Bateman's still taking on the safeties. But I think from everything that I've seen, he's checked all those boxes and more. He has
1: been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, look, we all knew when he got hired what he was hired for. You were hired to go recruit, mm-hmm. which was nothing wrong with that. Mac Brown wasn't bashful about that when he made the announcement he was hiring him. Look, we need guys to go get talent here to come play for me. No other guy can do that as good as Dre Bly can. He played for Mac Brown, he succeeded at Mac Brown, he knows what it's like to win big time football in Chapel Hill. So that was an easy sell in terms of that part of the job. But he's also impressed on the field with the coaching because Carolina, and his two years on the staff, their secondary has been decimated by injuries and yet they've been able to hold their own and stay afloat. And watching what he's going to do with Tony Grimes and Storm Duck moving forward has me all kinds of excited because there's a legitimate chance when we're talking on here in October, November, that might be not the best cornerback duo in the ACC that might be the best cornerback deal in college football, and this is, you know, you still got Ohio State, LSU, some other programs that produce corners at a really high level. They're going to be mentioned in the same breath because of Dre Bly's coaching and because of their, their you know, their God-given abilities on the football field. But he has definitely been the guy that has taken the most of his opportunity that Mac Brown has given him because he is, as you said, he's become a star. In his two years as a defensive back coach for Carolina? Yeah, I think
0: there's legitimate conversation. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are trying to project towards the future and they're asking if Jay Bateman could potentially be the next head coach. I think there's a chance that Dre Bly could be your next defensive coordinator too mm-hmm. if he continues to build the way that he has been uh, over these last couple of years. So let's go away from the coaching staff. Let's turn to another part of this team that has really improved under Mac Brown, and that's just the overall recruiting. Uh, You look at these last few classes, and look, Larry Fedora put together some really good classes in his time at Carolina. Um, I mean, you look back 2018, the 20th ranked class, uh, you know, a couple, of, uh, you know, He had a couple of down years outside of the top 25, uh, especially when he first got to Carolina. But still, you know, put together some consistent uh, top 30, usually top 25 classes. But then you fast forward to Mac Brown, and one thing that you've noticed over these past few years, first year that Mac Brown is in there, uh, and this is, you know, a holdover with Larry in the 2019 class. Scrambles, remember that class at one time, after Larry was fired, was in the mid 70s overall. Uh, they were below teams like North Texas, where Seth Luttrell was the head coach, who was on the staff prior, and we were kind of freaking out. Matt Brown comes in. That class finishes 30th. Yeah. And the main thing here is that I want to look at when you look at these classes is let's look at the composite um, scores in the class, the average rating. So you got an 86. Uh, a point eight six two three. Move on to 2020. That class then moves up to 13th. Now, again, that's with the late addition of Tony Grimes. Before that, I believe they were like an 18th or 19th. But Tony Grimes comes in late. They end up moving up, finished with a phenomenal class. But even on signing day, you were still saying this is a really, really strong class, even before Grimes were classified. Average rating in that class, a .888. Then you move on to 2021, and now we're starting to see what's happening here. This class ranks 14th, so not as high as the previous class when you add in Grimes. But this is a class that held just 19 commits. The prior class in 2020 held 26 commits, and you finished one spot lower in mm-hmm. the composite rankings. Why? The average rating of the players, 90 uh, or .9088. And you're talking about, uh, you know, just just from looking at it, I mean, you have out of all the guys that are committed in the class, out of the 19 that are committed in the class, all but two of those guys are inside of the top 500 prospects in the country. That's the thing that I use to measure here, because I think that especially when you talk about this year where these guys weren't able to play their final year of high school football. You can't really properly evaluate them. Caleb Hood was a guy that some people thought he'd be ranked inside the top 300 if he had played yeah. his senior year of high school football. You're seeing that Carolina is starting to land some of these bigger names. In in the t- 2022 class, they've got three commits in the class. None of them are in-state. They're all from Virginia, and they're all big-time prospects. Mm-hmm. The average rating in that class is a .9188. So Carolina continues to build and build, and they're getting the type of talent that they need to to be able to compete at the level Mac Brown wants.
1: Remember when Mac Brown got hired, there was this notion that today's kids weren't gonna know who that coach was and he was you know, they don't know what he did at Texas. That was a huge talking point. Yeah, that was when no one's gonna know who Mac Brown is. Well, he was on ESPN College Game Day every Saturday and he was in the studio every Saturday for twelve hours talking college football. And when you can roll out championship rings like he can. People are going to listen to you.
0: Oh, well, the other thing was, will he have the motivation to get out on the recruiting trail?
1: And can he relate to today's kid? Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Here's the thing about people like Mac Brown, people – that can – or just – he's a he's a good people person. So no matter what room you put him in, he'll be able to relate to somebody, let alone today's generations of athletes. Dude, I could invite Mac to my house for a meal, and he would act like he's been there every week for – Exactly. Years. Like that's just
0: Mac Brown. That's and, how he is.
1: And so the whole success on recruiting trail didn't surprise me. As a matter of fact, I expected Carolina to recruit at the level they are recruiting now. If they weren't recruiting at the level they were now, I'd be disappointed and the and what he was doing be it, right that's not where we're at he can go into about any bedroom he wants to and oh and get just about any whoa, kid whoa, he whoa, wants whoa, whoa. okay living whoa. room house house okay that's so whoa, whoa. <laughs> here's and 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 that that's the thing that matters is that and mm-hmm. he mentioned whenever he took the job we got to be the cool place to be in terms of recruiting well what's carolina doing since he, you know they've renovated the locker rooms—they've got state-of-the-art uh, locker rooms. Social media wasn't a big part of Larry Fedora's staff. You look at Carolina Football's Twitter account—they're always posting yep. something. They've taken it to another level. Definitely, it, it should, you know know—they're pushing out content. They, every level, they've had to up their game. They've done so, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. You know, he took the job that he could look at it from the CEO and say, "We got to get better in these, this area, this area, this area." To relate back to recruiting. He did that because Larry Fedora just ignored it, and then you look at what he's oh, done in on. state with the relations. He has yeah. rebuilt recruiting oh, relationships in a state. He did it in three weeks when he <laughs> got the job because Carolina is not where they are right now. If he doesn't get Sam, it would have come to Chapel Hill? Oh, easily the biggest. That recruit. is the biggest recruiting win in the and probably in, in program and program history. history, especially for the modern era of Carolina football. If he's if he would have went to Florida State or wherever, if he would have went somewhere else. Carolina doesn't play in the Orange Bowl a year ago. Yep. They're not seeing where they are right now where they're going to be a top-10 team in the preseason with a chance to legitimately make the college football playoff. They're not there without Sam Howell. But Sam Howell doesn't come to Carolina without Mac Brown. Definitely.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely believe that. Um, and, you know, part of that credit also has to go to Drake Bly. But Mac Brown did a phenomenal job. I remember hearing stories you know, because I I live close to Sam's former high school, Sun Valley. I heard stories of, you know, look, he's here at least once a week in person trying to, you know, change his mind and get him to Carolina to play for his home team. And it ended up working. And yes, I'm with you. I think if you go back and, and look at this, and especially with the importance of a quarterback in today's football that's the biggest recruiting win in program history because you have no idea where you'd be sitting at right now. More than likely, I mean, look, I don't know. Maybe this team still is pretty good. I think they probably would still be in decent shape because I think Jace Reuter probably ends up becoming your starting quarterback. I think Jace probably could have led you to some success, but you're probably a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five football team. You're not where Sam Howell has you at right now. So it, that that was huge. Um, and, and, you know, I I think it's only going to improve from here. I mean, you talked about in-state, man. I don't think anybody saw for foresaw how quickly he was able to lock that state down. And, I mean, the thing that was so important was that when you looked at You know, the 19 class, you went in, did what you had to do to scramble and get some guys in state. But when you got into the 20 class and especially the 2021 class, those were two of the best classes this state has ever produced. Mm -hmm. And you, in just that short period of time, were able to reestablish yourself and put together tremendous classes in both of those years and take back the power from an NC State team that looked like they had everything going in the right direction in terms of recruiting and, and landing these in-state guys. Um, so then you move on to the on-the-field results. You talked about it a little bit. Uh, let's you know break it down a little bit more. It's still really hard to believe that this team is a little over two years um, removed from two and nine. Yeah. And Nathan Elliott being your starting quarterback, your, one of your wins coming against Western Carolina. Now... You, as you mentioned, just appeared in the Orange Bowl. You're looking at a season where expectations are as high as they've been in Chapel Hill since the late 90s. And he's done it in two and a half years. I mean, it's remarkable. There's no other way to describe it. And this point right here, I think, shows how much of a dumbass I was back then.
1: I do agree that you were a dumbass. Um, I Gee, now, nice. with, with that being said... In terms of the on-field success, I and I said it during this year, I thought they were ahead of schedule. I thought it would mm-hmm. be year three you're looking at going to the ACC championship game, going to a New Year's Six Bowl. It happens in year two. When he took the job, the biggest thing he stressed about the on-field, you know, is you know, winning's important. The biggest thing that killed Larry Fedora was he couldn't beat NC State and he couldn't beat Duke. And Larry Fedora, now, or now Matt Brown, granted he's lost to Appalachian State He's lost to Wake Forest, but he's blown out NC State twice, and he's beaten Duke twice. And so that's a big part for Tar Heel fans that, look, knowing that we're a basketball school, when it comes to winning football games, okay, we we at least want to beat our rivals on a semi-regular basis. But then you play the number one team in the country, Clemson, in your home field, and you take them 60 minutes, had a chance to win the game. You played Notre Dame a full four-quarter game in Chapel Hill. You played in the Orange Bowl against a really good A&M team many, many people thought it should have been in the playoff and you played with them for 60 minutes. The on-field results are already there in year two. You won seven games as your first year and then you've won eight games so you you know you've taken the natural progression of winning more and every year you've been on as, as you've been back as the head coach and so now you're setting yourself for a really really big year three but you're right. I mean, we're we're not that far removed from seeing this team, you know, legitimately go in that game against Western Carolina, thinking they could lose that game. So now we're sitting here thinking that they could go play in the college ball playoff, and it wouldn't be that much of a surprise. And he's, and it's it's just been. It's just been a remarkable job. That's been the biggest thing that has surprised me. The, the you know the recruiting has surprised me, the staff you put together surprised me. I didn't think they'd win this big, this fast.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that, and uh, I think that you know the other part of it is that you know most people on at you know at the national level might say to you, look, you know this team got lucky that there were two teams from the ACC in the college football
1: playoff. Whatever you want to throw out there,
0: this team deserved to be in the Orange Bowl with the way that they played okay, well, this past season.
1: Oh, well, you beat a number ten team, Miami, by thirty six on the road. Yeah. I mean um, that I I think that really cemented it. And I and and we talked about that.
0: We talked about the fact that it was a successful season because of that, you know, that win. I think um I mean you look at the fact that they were it was a seven point game against Notre Dame until the final offensive possession yeah, of the game. You were
1: in the ball game um, the whole entire time. You had
0: a lead in the fourth quarter against Texas A and M, you can see that there are things there. Normally, I mean look, in other years you would be saying, Well, you know, you were in the game against
1: Florida State. Mm-hmm. You were, or you beat you know, Florida like, State when Nick Wilder yeah, hit a field goal. Right,
0: you, or, but but I'm saying like it, you know in terms of like let's let's put us in these scenarios that we were in this year. So you were in the game against Florida State, which would take place in the Notre Dame game you um you know you had a chance to win the game against a and m that would just be some random bowl game against West Virginia or something like that. Those are the types of teams that you were used to saying that about Carolina with, like oh well, they're almost there, you know they almost beat Virginia Tech, they almost beat a team in the middle of the a c c no, you beat a top ten team in Miami, like you said this year, yep you. I hung around with a team that made the college football playoff. And look, you could say whatever you want about that team. We saw the other team that was that that people thought should have been in the playoff. And that was the team we just talked about in Texas a and I don't think that team was a shoe-in. Like, oh, they were so much better than Notre Dame. And Carolina was in both of those games this year. So I think that really shows you that – Look, you're competing with these teams that are on the edge of the college football playoff. You're not that far off. So let's turn that into the last point that I wanted to bring up, which is where they go from here. You know, we'll end up addressing this probably in another year or two. We'll do another one of these. Where is... The the I mean, what should the goals be for Carolina to reach now? Because like you said, they've overachieved and they've done it really quickly. I think now you're starting to enter that territory where you feel like, look, man, Matt Brown's been here before. He's been on these big stages. We thought he was just going to try to take us to the doorstep of that. And then maybe the next coach that came in after him would be able to continue to build on that and transition us into that. He might be the guy that's going to be taking us to the college football playoff and that would probably be a better scenario.
1: Yeah, I. The only way when we address this in a couple of years from now, we look back and say that we then underachieved is if he never makes the ACC championship game. Yeah, I don't think we have. But um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think, I think they Carolina is going to be <laughs> in these. Mean. Yeah, this year or 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 next year. Right. Um. And so I think for right now, where are you looking at measuring us? You know, expectations. I think you need to, You need to play for a conference championship. I do think you're going to put Sam Howell in New York for a Heisman Trophy ceremony, which is nothing but good publicity for your program in terms of recruiting and everything else. And I do think the expectation is maybe to not make the college football playoff, but you, I, I think we expect to be in another New Year's Six bowl game, right? Yeah, I, I would um, say yeah. I would say that's a that's a pretty good it's a goal I, I i would i think that i think that's the expectation you've already been there there's no yeah, reason you can't with, with get Notre back with no name
0: out of the
1: yes. conference i think that
0: definitely probably moves that up to being an expectation um but i think you know one of the things that's tricky this year is is you don't know what exactly miami is going to be i still feel like you're a better team on the surface but if you know, I, I think the only way that you would say it wouldn't be a failure is let's say Miami comes out and they lose one conference game the whole season, you drop two. Maybe you're not overly concerned and you say, Okay, complete failure. This, you know, this is this is going in the wrong direction. Um, but I think, yeah, I think going into the season that will be the expectation is that you should be able to get back there. And I mean, look, you know, the last time that you were there. You gave Clemson the best challenge that they've had in the ACC championship game. Even to this day, even with yeah. Notre Dame last year, that that they did not give them a great game in the ACC championship game. Back in 2015, you gave Clemson a a pretty
1: decent run. For you their gave money. them everything you could handle with You're Marquise pro- Williams and TJ Logan. Yeah. I think Carolina's talent's better now. Yeah, and Carolina's the, coaching's better now. More, more. I mean,
0: look talented players tj logan was a four-star player let's not undercut it that was a guy that was you know started out being recruited by um butch davis's staff eventually was picked up by larry's staff and they and, and they brought him in um same thing with marquise williams but i agree i think the talent level is is much higher now um and i think the other thing that's really key is i feel like and maybe I'm wrong about this, and I'm probably going to regret saying this because they're probably going to come out and go you know, 14-0 and, and beat everybody by 75. I think that they're, the last couple of years, you're starting to see a slight bit of vulnerability in Clemson. Does that mean that I think Carolina is ready to step up and beat them? No, that's not what I'm saying. But do I think that this allows Carolina to have a chance to go in there and compete with them? Yes. Yes, that's how I look at that uh, going forward over the next couple of years. And look, if they continue to add the talent, you never, you never really know. I don't want to, you know, go ahead and put those expectations on the program. But I think there's reason, believe it or not, to be confident about that. Two and a half years removed from being the laughingstock of the ACC. Yeah. So that finishes it up for the state of the program. Let's move on and close this podcast out with the 40 yard dash. It's time to take a look at some of the latest storylines around Toriel football with the 40 yard dash. Not a ton going on since the last time that we were on here, but just a couple ones that we'll reel off. Um, the Tariel's heading to the Mercedes Benz dome for uh, the game against Georgia Tech on September 25th. Uh, remember, they were. Scheduled to go to the new home of the Atlanta Falcons last year yeah. to play Auburn. That game did not end up happening. Um, but what do you think about that move of that game there? I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not really sure how to feel about it. I think you know it, it might help a little bit because they've never been fun- they've never been great in Bobby Dodd Stadium. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I, I think you know it, it is going to be a little weird that it's a conference game being played in a neutral site.
1: I look at it mainly thinking, that's the weekend of my birthday. If we're going to go road trip, it'd be more enticing to go see that beautiful new stadium as opposed to going to Bobby Dodd Stadium. Well, if
0: any, if I, I'm I'm going to say one th- this one thing. I looked up ticket prices last year for the game against Auburn there. If these ticket prices are anywhere similar,
1: yeah, I don't know. That'd I, be I, a great I, birthday <laughs> present, though. Um yeah, well, I, you but oh, you, know, you know, you know, on record. a serious note, it's it's weird because you know it's, it, it's going to be a neutral field, right? Um, can we really talk about weird stuff though? Because
0: we are playing yet again the Wake second Forest. out of conference game against Wake Forest yeah. in just the weirdest out of conference and a conference out of conference
1: game. Um, weird, weirdest thing ever. But I mean, you know, it's. I, I think you'll I think you'll see more of that from Georgia Tech moving forward. That'd be a good way to maybe, you know, sell recruits you can play in the stadium or something like that. Yeah, they do have a deal with that where right. basically their biggest game every year will be moved into that stadium. So, um a good chance for Carolina to get, you know, you know, on the big stage where they could be playing the Peach Bowl, which is a New Year Six bowl game.
0: Right. Well, th- I think that's one of the big things to take away from that is that this is another chance for Carolina. They'll potentially be on a big stage here. It'll feel like a bigger game than it normally yeah. would if you just went and played at Georgia Tech. Um, so I think that's definitely interesting. So, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, who knows? That's This could be, uh, you know, a, 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 what, semi-yearly? Yeah, semi-yearly. That's what it is. We were arguing about this. A couple of weeks ago, about the bi and semi. It's semi yearly because the, the, you got into the bi weekly pay, which means every two weeks, but technically it should be the semi weekly pay of job because it's every two weeks. Bi weekly would mean twice a week.
1: That's why we're single because that's what we argue about is bi-weekly and semi-weekly pay. I think it may also have to do
0: with something about the fact that we've done 224 (laughs) editions of this podcast in three years. But um, either way, let's move on uh, to the next storyline of the Tar Heels added three walk-on kickers. Uh, that are preferred guy, preferred walk-ons. Um, so they added, of course, uh, T- Teagan Linderink. You guys remember him uh, uh, from the last edition. We told you that they added him. Well, they also added Cole Maynard, who is probably going to come in and be a punter. If that last name sounds familiar, it should. Former NFL punter Brad Maynard is his dad. It was also his coach at Huff High School. And then uh, the Tories also added Todd Pledger, a kicker who kicks at Mountain Island High School. A oh, pledges uh, and-
1: commitment to Carolina. G- great, great. Great stuff. Yeah, gotta love it.
0: Um, he, of course, a high school teammate of Gabe Stevens. But, uh, you know, it, it is kind of interesting that the Tar Heels are, are adding this many kickers. Probably looking towards next year uh, more than anything. Um, I, I don't really think it's any concern to... Uh, Grayson Atkins uh, this year. And at punter, I think, look, when Ben Kiernan wants to leave, that'll be when he'll give up that position because he had a
1: great year. In the field. Yeah, I think it's more, you know, coach's cliche. You want to have, you know, competitive depth. That's what Carolina and Mac Brown's trying to build. Really disappointed, though, mainly. No article on the website about these preferred walk-on kickers joining the football program.
0: No, there were, hey, there were mentions of these guys joining. Todd Pledger was not on there. Well, I wanted the breakdowns one. of their film. I mean, look, man, there's not, there's, there's, there's not a ton of stuff out there you know. about these guys. But, no, Cole Cole was mentioned in the weekly storylines last week. Tegan was mentioned in the weekly storylines the week before. And then Todd will probably be mentioned in the next edition. I didn't put one out this week because I'm going to be honest with you. He was – his – his, his preferred walk on commitment was pretty much the only storyline it was a dead week around Tar-Y-L-A-B-A. so we're gonna hold off a week i'm not gonna put out an article with one headline that's just really wasting wasting y'all's time and everything like that so we'll just wait until next week uh, but we will have a breakdown of what todd pledger and his pledge Very brings good. to the table uh, going forward um jace reuter lands at north texas mm-hmm. i ultimately feel like this is a really good landing spot i love that him. spot for him um you'll Ends up working with uh, with Seth the Trail. Now, inter- interestingly enough, no connection between them. No. Nope. Jace came in way later, but there is a connection with the coaching staff. Mike Eckler, who is the outside linebackers coach for the Tar Heels, was the one that put him in touch with the Trail. Uh, both sides really like the, the the fit, and he ends up going there. I mean, look, this is this is a good spot for him. It's closer to to home. Of course, he's from uh, the state of Kansas, uh, Norton, Kansas, to be specific. So a little bit closer at home, uh, and the main thing is, is that I love the fit in this offense. Remember how successful, if you're a college football fan, Mason Fine Mason Fine was so good in that system. Even before that, uh, remember I can't remember his last name, but it was the Alabama transfer, Alec something, Alec James or something like that. He had a little bit of success there too, so I think that this system really works, and it's a great fit for James.
1: Yeah, I think he's going to put the, you know, uh, there' going to be a rude awakening for Conference USA when he gets there, and the big thing for him, He's still got what four years of eligibility. He can go there. He's got a whole career to go with because.
0: He had the injury last year that yep. he suffered in the then app. He got CD. the COVID extra year this got year. Got the COVID extra year. So, yeah, he's got a whole career ahead of him and a chance to really succeed. One thing, though, you thought you were getting away from possibly cold weather. You got a pack of jacket. Jason. Snow in there in North it. Texas, baby. So, uh, don't, make sure that you're prepared for those winters that could be harsh over the next couple of years. Last thing we'll talk about before we get out of here, TJ Logan, um, not on the active roster, unfortunately got injured before the season, but he does win a Super Bowl ring? Congratulations to him. Uh, wanted to shout him out. I've been trying to reach out, see if I could possibly get him on the podcast, um, but it's it's really difficult with some of these NFL guys. Uh, you know, trying to get you know in touch with their agents and everything like that. Um, but if we do, we'll definitely have him on sometime. But uh, you know, a, a guy that I think is just when you talk about some of the more underrated guys in recent years at Carolina, when when you look back on their careers, it feels like Elijah Hood's career got so so much um uh what am i looking for here i'm blanking on the word i've had a great podcast so far recognition recognition exposure yeah i I think recognition is probably the best way like a lot of Toriel fans look back on his career and are like this is one of the most successful running backs in program history and rightfully so he had some really good years especially 2015. but i think tj logan really had and uh, just an under-recognized career at Carolina, and uh, congratulations to him on winning that Super Bowl ring.
1: Yeah, if you get him on, I want to ask him about how the Super Bowl boat parade was and where we can get that avocado tequila that Tom Brady got drunk off of because I need to be that level of drunk in my life at some point. So this
0: is an NFL topic, but I got to ask
1: this really quickly.
0: Uh, What did you think about the lady that— said, and this is relevant on this show because you lose sleep over Tar basketball games. Would you, if your dad was the silversmith that made the NFL Lombardi trophy each year, keep in mind that a Lombardi trophy is not one trophy that is handed out to every team. It has this gigantic history. They are made new every yep, single every year. year. Yeah. Would you be losing sleep as offended, demanding an apology, from someone for disrespecting
1: the trophy. Um, is this podcast going to be labeled explicit? Yes or no? No, we're not going to do that. So keep it, keep it, keep it PG thirteen. If if my name was what her parents named her, I'd be a grumpy witch with the B too, because Lorraine. that that right there alone would be enough to make me wake ah. up miserable. But that that is the biggest. That's the problem with society today. Those people should not be allowed to have an opinion. Because she, he threw a trophy across some water, and it was caught. It was completed. He threw it to yeah. a tight end that has good hands. Yeah.
0: Let's just be honest. The best part about this whole thing, and we'll get out of here uh, after this, but the best part about this whole thing is they showed the video of a guy that was on the Bucks at the time, or, or on the Bucks at the time of the parade the other day, in, in a prior Super Bowl, Gronk denting the lombardi trophy while using it as a bat to bunt a baseball that was thrown at it hilarious absolutely hilarious look we don't know if the Tariels were to ever win a national championship if our guys would go that nuts with the national championship trophy who knows i mean look uh, what I forget what bowl game it was. Uh, Wisconsin they broke their bowl trophy. Yeah, the mayonnaise so, bowl. The mayonnaise bowl. That's yeah. right. The Duke Mayo Bowl. They broke their trophy. Uh, the Toriels have had a little more success with that, and hopefully uh, they'll have some bigger trophies coming their way here uh, in the next couple of years. But that wraps it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Log podcast. Again, guys, make sure you head over to the website heeltoplog There is so much great stuff. On the website, we've had you covered throughout the offseason, and we're going to continue to have you covered uh, with all of the offseason storylines as we go through them. Those weekly storylines will be coming out uh, usually every week, but if it's a really slow week, we're going to push it back and just have it every other week, uh, like we're doing this week. Uh, and then, you know, going forward after that, uh, you know, then we're, we're, we're going to, uh, you know, start to get into some, some really, really great stuff uh, once they get into. Um, into what am i uh once they get into spring camp which is right around the yeah. corner believe it or not they are not that far away from that there's some really exciting guys uh, that are joining the team uh, a couple of guys that were there last year that are probably play bigger roles and there'll be some interesting battles that we'll be talking about uh throughout meanwhile right now on the website the focus is on the basketball side of things uh carolina you know it, in a weird spot. Let's just be real honest here. They are on the bubble and we're going to have to pretty much watch them over the next couple of weeks to see where exactly they end up landing on the bubble uh, but we'll keep you covered on all of that going forward, uh, you know, w- w- whether Carolina makes the tournament or not. And uh, you got Josh, you got uh, Sarah Wiley, who's been writing the previews for you guys as well. She's done a great job since coming on with us, uh, as well as Mark Krings, uh occasionally sprinkling in some stuff uh, on the recruiting trail. Uh, so, yeah. Three people covering basketball uh, as well. So really great basketball coverage on the site. And then, of course, we'll have some light baseball coverage when the Diamond Heels return uh, with new head coach Scott Forbes. Uh, For the podcast, again, if you guys are watching uh, this edition of the podcast, again, there will be some that are going to be on camera as we start to get towards spring camp. We'll start to do some of those on camera. Um, And then, again, we'll go back into probably just the audio format, but we'll have the waveforms that you guys can watch on Facebook. Once they go into the summer months, and then eventually we'll bring it back around, and every podcast will be on video once again during the season, like we did. This past year, so make sure that you guys are keeping an eye out for that. Like and follow the Facebook page so that you can see all of those and all those articles that I just talked about. All of those on the on uh, the Facebook page as well, so you can access all those right there. For those listening to the podcast, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, We greatly appreciate the rate and review. That helps us move up some of those rankings so that people, when they search Tar Heel Podcast, when they search Tar Heels, whatever in their podcast player. People that haven't found it just yet can track down the podcast and join the family. And then, whenever you are in there, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you don't have to look it up. It'll be right in your podcast library every time there is a new edition of the podcast. You can pull it up and give it a listen right there uh, on the spot whenever you want to. So, that wraps it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Uh, again, want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys
1: for listening. And as always, Go to heels.